All right, turning your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 16. We'll read the last verse of chapter 16 and into verse or chapter 17. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 28, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, there shall there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was light, white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him, unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and they were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Thank you. you may be seated. Jesus Christ had spent the last three years telling his church what was coming. He told them what was going to happen. And they didn't like what they heard. They didn't understand what they heard or they flat out rejected what they heard. Now, we accuse the, the, the world all the time of rejecting God's word, don't we? Well, bless God, the world, they just they just turn their back on the word of God. But, you know, sometimes we do the same thing when we don't like what we read. What do we do? We just close the book. When we don't like what's being preached, well, we just don't come to the next service. Or we just sort of change the channel. We're reading the Bible, but we're really not focusing. It happens, doesn't it? Hey, did the disciples love their Lord? Yes, of course they loved the Lord. But they had in their mind a vision of the Messianic kingdom. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to destroy Rome, destroy the Roman armies. He's going to liberate Israel and Jerusalem's going to be the capital of the world. And we're going to rule and reign with him. That was their vision. But they forgot what John the Baptist had preached three years before. Behold, look, pay attention. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And not just the elect, the whole world. Now, where we live in, in Portugal, it's a little village, about a thousand people. We're surrounded by farmers and shepherds. There are three shepherds that have their flocks and herds in our area, and they put little bells on, their, on the, the animals' necks. And so you always hear, and I was out walking our dogs one day, and it was a rather cold, brisk day. We're surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean on two sides. So you get some stiff winds, and boy, they can be cold. And... Um, Mr. Lausin, uh, shepherd, had just had a lamb born the day before, and his mother, for some reason, had rejected it. And so he, he in the wintertime, he always wears this leather, leather cape, still got the fur uh, on it, and uh, it's waterproof, and he's got this leather hat that he wears. And uh, he saw me out walking my dogs, and he waved me over. And he said, you know what I have? I don't know. And he pulled back the cape and he had a newborn lamb in his arms. Mom had rejected it. 
And so he kept it right next to his chest. He said, she likes to hear my heart. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Safe from the wind and the cold, that little lamb was just snuggled up against the shepherd's chest. Safe. Here in his heart. And she knew, hey, I'm okay because the shepherd has me. The lamb, trying to think. I don't think I've ever seen a creature more beautiful, more precious than that little lamb. Soft, white, big brown eyes. I mean, it was like, it was love at first sight. I love this little lamb. He's so cute. She didn't want anything to do with me, man. She stuck to the shepherd. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I can't imagine that after eight days, I'd have to put my hand in the Old Testament. I'd have to put my hand on the head of that little lamb and watch as the priest slit its throat because of my sin. (sighs) Peter, James, and John, they'd had to do that their entire lives. They'd had to take those lambs, put their hand on the head of that lamb, and watch that lamb die because of their sin. And for them to understand, wait a minute, you're saying you're the lamb of God. That means you're going to die. No, no way. We don't want that. We've seen that our whole lives. We don't want that. (sighs) Broke their hearts. We know from Luke chapter nine, what was Moses and and what were Moses and, and Elijah talking to Jesus about? It wasn't the weather. It wasn't Jewish politics. It was his upcoming death. Not welcome news. Not something that anyone wanted to hear. But it was vital that they did hear and understand. But you know, Luke tells us, these guys got drowsy. I mean, okay, you climb a mountain, you're going to get a little tired. All right, not when you're these young bucks here at Heartland. And, you know, they can climb mountains and go, oh, let's do it again. You know, you get to be my age, you go, well, I climbed the stairs. I did pretty good. (laughs) But you know, they climbed a mountain. They got a little bit drowsy. And before they knew it, they were missing an important conversation. And a conversation that they needed to hear. Why did Jesus tell them to watch and pray? Because our flesh is the same. It's weak. And our spirit, although our spirit... The Holy Spirit guides us to do what's right. Our flesh is weak and our flesh. You ever notice you can stay up and watch a worthless movie for two hours and not get drowsy. Try reading the Bible for an hour and what happens? (sighs) Try praying. Pastor says, guys, we're going to have a early morning men's prayer. Uh, How early? Man, we're going to get up early and go bass fishing. Oh, I'm there, man. All depends on our priority, isn't it? Yeah. These guys, they didn't like what they heard. So they got drowsy. And they missed the conversation. And as Elijah and Moses were getting ready to leave. (laughs) Huh? Oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't leave. Oh, man, we missed it. We messed it again. Oh, man, we did it again. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I got a great idea. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's build three tents. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then we can go and talk to these guys as long as we want. Sounded good, huh? 
At least it did to Peter at the moment. He had a problem of engaging mouth before he engaged brain. I know all about that one. Yeah, I know all about that, don't I, dear? She asked me many times, do you ever think before you open your mouth? Well, most of the time I do the thinking after I've opened my mouth. Boy, I wish I could push rewind on that one. That was Peter. That was Peter. He blurted it out. Was God happy with his desire? Was God thrilled that he said, hey, I want to build a tent just like the one Moses had built years before to house the Ark of the Covenant where God met with his people. We'll do three of them. Yes, sirree. Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they're all the same. Uh-oh. See a problem with that one? Yeah. Here's the problem. Okay. Moses. What did the Jews call the Old Testament? The law of Moses. No, it was the law of God that God gave to Moses. It wasn't Moses' law. The prophets. That's how Jesus described the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. He was the New Testament written in his blood. So you have all God's word right there represented in his kingdom. Why? Because Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What's the most valuable thing we've got on this planet? God's word. Because it's eternal. I tell you what, in Europe, we, we have two year, three year, and if you pay a lot of money, a five year guarantee. And after that, you're on your own. What does God say about our salvation? It's only good until the next sin. It's eternal life. And no one can pluck you out of his hand. Amen. I'm glad it doesn't depend on me because I'd be getting saved every five, 10 minutes. Uh Jesus, he's everything. Who was Moses? Servant. Who was Elijah? Servant. Not anywhere close to Jesus. I'll be honest, Pastor. I don't like the word hero used in reference to me. Sure. You know why? Who is Mark Hale? Servant. Amen. True. Period. Right. Missionaries, you talk to any of them. Well, <clears throat> I don't know about the rest of them, but yeah, I'm, I'm a hero. <laughs> Not one of them will tell you that. Because no, right. we're just servants. Right. Now, you want to talk about our master. Oh, that's a different story altogether. We'll talk about him all day long. You see, there's one pedestal and he belongs on it. No one else does. Now, Brother Mark, you don't understand. I have this great book. See, now Spurgeon said Spurgeon doesn't belong on the pedestal. Jesus does. Well, I don't know. Now, MacArthur says MacArthur doesn't belong on the pedestal. Well, this famous Internet preacher, he doesn't belong on the pedestal. There's one pedestal and that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. What did God say? All honor, all glory, all praise belongs to him. Not the majority of it, all of it. You see the videos and the results. Guess what? That's not because of the missionary. 
That's because of the God we preach. Anything of eternal value that's done in Portugal, it's because of him. Anything that gets messed up, that's because of me. And that's the truth. No heroism. Just a servant trying to do his job. Do I always succeed? Nope. Sometimes I get in the way just like Peter. Sometimes I don't put other people on the pedestal. Sometimes I put myself on the pedestal. I don't want to. Okay, maybe I'm the only one that ever said that. Yeah, I got saved when I was 14 and God said, I want you to preach. And I said, <laughs> yeah, that's not a good joke, Lord. I have a fear of public speaking. You notice I'm not doing a Pastor Gaddis and moving from this pulpit because my legs shake, my hands shake. It's like if I don't hold on, you'd see me shake. And if I keep talking about it much longer, I won't be able to breathe. <laughs> 42 years I've been preaching, 5,000 messages, and it grips my chest like a, like a cobra, like a, like a, like a boa constrictor. <sighs> and I can't breathe. <laughs> but you know what my fear is now? Not so much public speaking, it's that I'm going to mess up the opportunity God gave me. That I don't declare his truth properly, that I get in the way of the Holy Spirit. That's my fear now. That sometimes I get in the way and I climb up on that pedestal. And I say, God, I know what you want, but. I know you're calling me, God, but. There's only one person that belongs on that pedestal, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anyone or anything is up there, it's idolatry. What did God tell these guys? He overshadowed them with a cloud. Now, clouds can be rather terrifying. We live near the ocean, and so we have a lot of sea fog that moves in. And when you're driving, let me tell you something, it's terrifying. You can't see a car length ahead of you. And you just slow down to about 20 and you hope a dump truck's not coming 70 behind you. And you hope there's not something parked in the street ahead of you. But you can't see anything. It's terrifying. I've been out walking the dogs in the fog and got shot. Some knothead out there with a shotgun. He thinks, wow, must be Big Bird. <laughs> Boom. I I'm not a bird. Oops, sorry. Fog can be terrifying, man. Those clouds, they can be dangerous. Whew. This cloud was terrifying. Peter, James, and John, they weren't going, la, 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 la. Oh, nice cloud. They were terrified. Rightly so. What did God say after they were enveloped in this cloud. Now, bear in mind, they had seen Jesus, Moses, Elijah. And all of a sudden, they could see nothing. Surrounded by this opaque cloud that God was speaking to them in. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now, Moses... Not Elijah, Jesus. 
How many times, how many times have we put someone or something up there just like they did? How many times have we been guilty of idolatry? You know, we go to Portugal and you see the statues and you see the idols. And, and every seven years they carry this idol of Mary around the, 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 the entire country. Everyone is honored to, to have this, this privilege. You know, six men carry this idol and, the, and they'll have a banner that says the queen of heaven is coming. And they'll cover the streets in, in rose petals and they'll all bow down and worship this idol as she goes by. What slavery but darkness. That's why we're there. Because God wants to save them from that sin, from that idolatry. Now it's easy for us to go, pagans. But how many times have we worshiped that bass boat on Sunday instead of the Lord? How many times have we said, I'll serve God the way I want, not the way he wants I know the Bible says to tithe, but I can't afford it. I know they need workers in junior church, but I don't like kids. Well, we can come up with a lot of excuses, can't we? Yeah. Many, many times. Jesus is not on the pedestal. We are. And then what's the result? Fear. Because we know God is not pleased. <sighs> How many times I've made selfish, carnal choices, and then immediately the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and then, Mark, you did it again. You didn't please God. After all he's done for you, you pleased yourself. It happens, doesn't it? Why? Well, it's interesting, the word asleep, Luke chapter 9, literally means to be calloused, to be indifferent to the price of salvation. Isn't that interesting? They weren't just drowsy physically. They had gotten used to Jesus. They'd gotten used to his presence, used to his teaching, used to his miracles, and they just sort of got bored with him. But, whoa, something new. Moses, Elijah, cool. And we, they got bored with Jesus. Think about it. You know, we've grown up. I grew up in a Christian home. Heard about God my whole life. Every Easter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crucifixion, resurrection. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. Every Sunday is a celebration of his resurrection. And yet we get used to it, don't we? Just like electricity. We get used to it until the ice storm. And then all of a sudden, boy, we don't have it and we want it. Yeah. We get used to things, don't we? And then we get used to Jesus. And all of a sudden, we don't love him like we used to. We're not passionate about him like we used to be. We've grown sort of calloused, sort of indifferent and we wonder why the pastor cries. And we wonder why the missionaries cry. And we go, man, what are they being so emotional about? Because we just don't feel that way anymore. You ever notice a young couple, they get married? 
And all the middle-aged and older folk, they go, <laughs> why do we do that? Well, because when I do that, my wife goes, you're 60, act like it. <laughs> really? Man, they have eyes only for one another. They're in love. Until Junior comes and gets in the way with all the dirty diapers and the midnight feedings. And then love just sort of takes a back seat to reality, doesn't it? And if we're not careful, we get used to the treasure God gave us. We don't open the door like we used to for her. We don't look at her and say, I love you and you're gorgeous. Instead we go, there's something in your tooth. Bad hair day today, huh, honey? Oh, that's a real good one. Almost as bad as if you hadn't plowed with my heifer. Yeah. Never did that one. I'm not as bad as Samson. We get used to it, don't we? And we start taking for granted the blessing that God's given us. That's what happened here. They got indifferent and God had to wake them up. God had to scare them. They couldn't see a thing. All of a sudden, these three people they wanted to worship equally, poof, gone. They're enveloped in a cloud and God is speaking to them and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Was Moses perfect? Nope. He got angry. Grieving for his sister, got frustrated with the lack of faith and the rebellion against the children of Israel. Shall we get you water from this rock, you rebels? And he disobeyed God and he lost the promised land as a result. He wasn't perfect. Elijah got discouraged. I'm the only one left. I'm the lost, last one. I'm the only servant left. God said, I got thousands who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You ran from Jezebel. So I'm going to replace you. Here's Elisha. Ouch. He wasn't perfect either. He got discouraged, got scared. But you know who was perfect? The guy in the middle. The Lord Jesus Christ. Easy to get used to him. And we get calloused to the price he paid. That perfect lamb who died the most horrible death anyone ever has. And he died because of our sin. Now, when God lifted that cloud, I love what the Bible says. They saw no one but Jesus. Oh, what a difference a little fear will, will make. Yeah, my father was the master of that. He didn't do the job he told you to. When he came home, it was reckoning time. It was too late for mercy. Mercy was all those hours I had that I decided to play instead of work. Now it was reckoning time. And I could hear his feet clumping down the hallway. Clum, clum, clum. Everything's shaking. Oh no, I'm about to die. <laughs> and he'd walk in. Mark, yes, father, I'm about to die. I'm prepared to die. You know what you did was wrong. Yes, father, just beat me and get it over with. I, I know what's coming. And he always did the same thing. He'd always put his arm around me and hug me and say, I love you. And this is going to hurt me. 
more than you. Yeah, who's going to be crying when it's all over with? It's not going to be you, old father. God scared them. And then they saw Jesus. And what did he tell them? This is precious. He says, arise and be not afraid. That's our savior. Because of him, we don't have to be afraid of God because he's no longer our judge. He's our father. You ever hear that, that saying, all paths lead to God? You ever hear that one? That's absolutely true. All paths do lead to God as judge, but only one path leads to God as father. And that's through Jesus Christ and him alone. And in Christ, no fear. Isn't that great? We're adopted into God's family forever. And he won't ever return us to the orphanage. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Think we're getting calloused, aren't we? We're adopted into God's family. Amen. Man, think about the alternative. We can be part of Satan's family and end up in the lake of fire. That's where we deserve. But because of God's mercy and God's love, we can be adopted into his family because of the death of the lamb. Man, what a blessing. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. That's where we need to be where we see Jesus with new eyes, where we see him as the suffering lamb of God who paid the price willingly for you and for me. But he didn't stay dead, did he? Portugal loves to have him on the cross, loves to have him dead in Mary's arms. But Jesus isn't still in the tomb. He's still not on the cross. Because the third day he came out of that tomb victorious over death and hell. And the Roman army couldn't keep him inside. They're the ones that became his dead men. They were terrified. That dead guy came out. That's right. Because no one could keep him in. Victorious over death and hell? Yes. And guess what? All you have to do is read the end of the story. And we know God wins. Satan loses. Amen. But it's so easy to get calloused, isn't it? To get distracted by the things of the world. To get distracted by people and things that have no place being on that pedestal. Oh, how we need. Verse number eight. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. May God help each and every one of us during this missions conference to see Jesus only. The missionaries, guess what? We proclaim Jesus. We don't preach American culture. We don't promote ourselves. We talk about our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the only one that has the power to save. 
He's the only one that can transform lives. He's the only one that can break the chains of, of, of sin and bondage in religion. He's the only one that can establish churches. He's the only one that can make disciples and call men to preach. It's Jesus only. Let me ask you a question this evening. In this missions conference, you've heard missionaries preach, seen their videos, you've gone to their tables, you've talked to them. But let me ask you a question. Where is Jesus in your life today? Is he on your pedestal? Is he the only one on your pedestal? Is he your priority? Is he your passionate love? Are you so filled with love and gratitude that you're willing to do whatever he wants? That hurts, doesn't it? Okay, missionary, let's just move on. Come on, you're getting uncomfortable here. I know. I had to study for this sermon. Trust me, my toes hurt. But it's a question we have to ask. Is Jesus on my pedestal tonight? Is he first in my life? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? I'd just like to ask two simple questions. I know it's a Thursday night, a missions conference. But if you're here and you say, missionary, to be honest, if I died in a car accident on the way home, I am not sure I'm saved. If I died in a heart attack in my bed tonight, I do not know for sure I'd go to heaven. If you're like that, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to call you by name. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone like that tonight? I am not for sure that I'm saved. Anyone like that at all? All right, let me ask a second question. You're here and you say, Brother Mark, I know for sure that I'm saved. But I have to be honest before God. I've become calloused. I haven't had Jesus where he belongs. He hasn't been on the pedestal of my life. I've been putting other things or maybe myself in the way. But tonight I'm raising my hand as a testimony to God the Father that I love his son. And he's going to be my priority from here on out. If you're like that, would you just slip your hand up? Amen. All over the auditorium, up in the balcony, praise God. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Those of you who raised your hands, would you look up here at me right now, please? You mean business with God? I'm going to ask you to do something before the first word of the invitation sung. Would you just stand to your feet and come down to this altar and say, God, you need to be first. You need to be on my pedestal. And I don't want anyone or anything to be there. You need to be number one in my life. If God touched your heart tonight, would you just come? Don't wait for somebody else. Just come. Just come and say, Jesus, you need to be first. You need to be my first love. Amen. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but God's touched your heart. Just join these at the altar. Say, God, here I am. I'm sorry that I got calloused. I'm sorry that I got used to your love and your salvation and your mercy and your guidance and the answers to my prayers. Help me to always love you, God, first. 
Amen. As we sing the first verse of the invitation, if God's touched your heart, would you come?